James chapter 4, um, verse 1. We'll be reading the whole chapter. James chapter 4, verse 1. This is a heavy one, just letting you know. I mean, we're not going to get too gnarly. You know, like, you know me, I don't want to get like <laughs> all up in your face, but like, this is a really gnarly chapter. Okay, so uh, we're going to give God reverence, you know. Um, this is good word. So uh, James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he who gives more grace therefore says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge one another? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know that what, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, listen to this, verse 17, if you haven't been following along, listen to this. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Yeah. That's gnarly, right? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want to give you respect and reverence, God. Uh, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord. Um, Father, uh, I do pray for Pastor Mark, Lord, as he's stuck in New York in this blizzard, Lord. He's away from his family. Um, and God, and I know Carissa, you know, she's, she's got three kids, one of them a newborn, Lord, and she's um, lasting without her husband right now, Lord. So I just pray that you'd help her um, and get him home safely to us. Father, we pray for our church, God, that we would continue to grow in community together and that your word would penetrate our hearts so deeply that our lives and the lives of others would be affected. God, speak boldly. God, um, decipher it for us and Holy Spirit, intercede for us. Um, We desire, we desire you, Lord. And so uh, do a great work. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verses 1 through 10, we're not going to be diving too deeply because I really want to get to verses 11 through 17, but I I, I really do want to make a few quick observations about this. We see here, it says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. 
And you can sense some frustration as James is writing this. For those of you that haven't been following along with the series or you're just coming in, this is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus writing this. No, no, I, I would say no person knows the character of Christ more than him, right? He grew up with Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He knows the character of Christ. And you can sense in James some frustration when he's writing this because there are a lot of quarrels and strife among believers at this point in church history. At every point in church history, really, there are strifes and quarrels and wars and all types of gnarly stuff. But at this particular time, James is addressing all the quarrels and wars and little spats that people are getting in among believers, And you can sense the frustration as James is writing this. He's essentially calling them out in the sense that you all want your own stuff, right? You're all just looking after your own stuff. You're warring and you're quarreling over each other and you're using and abusing one another to get what you want. He said, where do fights and strife come from? Why are you warring against one another? And he says, it's because of your sinful desires, You want what's good for you. You want what's good for you. And so so James is writing this and he's saying, no wonder you guys are arguing all the time. You're only looking out for your own good. You're trying to get things from other people. And when you can't get them from people, you're asking God. And then you get frustrated because God's not giving it to you. But you're asking for the wrong thing anyways. Do you guys see how this could be frustrating? Right? For James, as, as the pastor of this church, he's actually the pastor of the biggest church at the time. Right? He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, right? where it all started. And so he's seeing all these quarrels among them start. And he's saying, you adulterers. That's, that's a pretty gnarly, that, that, that is a heavy, heavy accusation. Him calling them adulterers, right? Maybe he didn't mean actual adulterers like they're cheating on their husband and their wives, but saying, you guys, you are married to Christ. As the church, you are married to Christ and you are drifting further and further from him, desiring the world. You adulterers, right? Everyone wants their own stuff. And their prayer lives, guys, are self-consumed and egocentric, much like our own sometimes, right? Their prayer lives are self-consumed and egocentric. And, and their self-consumed mentality of, I want what's mine. I want my rights. The self-consumed mentality is trickling into the church. Because the minute, the minute that we think we deserve anything is when we start fighting people to get it. When we, when we think, all right, that rights don't come from God, but they come from man, What we will do is that we will fight so hard to get it, and it doesn't matter who's burned in the process. When we think that we own something, when we think we're entitled to something or to someone, we will fight for it. We will argue for it. We'll do all these things for it. And it says, for those of you guys, because I know I'm not the only one who quarrels and fights, right? Right? 
Now, fighting may look different for people, right? I'm not, I'm, I, I tend to not be this outward fighter, right? I, 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 I'm kind of, I, I'm not very combative, right? So I, I'm more passive aggressive in my fighting. I don't know if any of you are like that, where you're like, well, you know, that's your opinion, or you know, whatever, you know, those, those passive aggressive. Uh, I'm more of a passive aggressive fighter, but I quarrel, right? Some of you go head on, right? You just go straight to the issue. What is upsetting you, right? But if you're anything like me, there are quarrels, there are fights, there are disagreements between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're human, right? There are going to be disagreements. This is something that will happen. And for those of you that may be experiencing conflict with other people in faith, listen to the words of James when he says this. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you know what that means? You know what? And and sometimes I have to kind of, I have to look back. All right, what does this really mean? Because obviously we're like, oh yeah, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He likes, he doesn't like people that are proud. He likes people that are humble. We need to be humble. Move on, right? That's that's the immediate thing. But this is crazy. Look at this verse. I want everybody to look, right? In verse six, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It means that pride, God is actively against. He is actively against pride, meaning that our ideas, our ambitions that are rooted in pride, God will actively go against you. He will actively try and thwart your plans. Does that make sense? God resists the proud. It's not like, oh, I don't like it when you're so proud. No, he actively goes against you, right? That doesn't make a good Jesus culture song, right? Like, you know, we, we love to talk about, oh, yeah, God makes everything work together for my good, but we never like to talk about, except when I'm having pride in my heart and then which God will actually actively go against me. That doesn't sell well, you know? But I think, I think we need to understand that. We need to understand that God is continually exalting those who are humble. He's continually exalting, exalting and glorifying those that are humble. But the pride in our hearts, God is actively pursuing its destruction. God will do whatever it takes to humble us. That all the, all, all the pride that consumes our hearts, consumes our decisions, God is actively with his Holy Spirit trying to thwart you for your own good, right? Can, can we just agree? That, that, is, that is a good thing, right? That God doesn't feed our pride, right? That God's not seeking to feed our ego because that's where the strife comes from, right? That's where the warring against one another comes from. Pride, us wanting our own good instead of the good of others. When you realize that it is God's profound love that seeks to thwart our pride. It is out of his love that he will take your plans that are conceived in pride and he will actively go against them. That should should be a hallelujah to the Lord, right? That should be thank you, Jesus, even though it's hard, thank you, Lord, that you are doing that. And therefore, James says this, he says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Yeah, this is like depressing, right? Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. <laughs> right? This is depressing, yeah? This, is, this sucks. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let your joy turn to gloom. Now, James isn't trying to tell you, hey, you really, in order to be a good believer, you need to be depressed, right? Because we're told all throughout the Bible to have joy, right? And now James is saying, let your joy be turned to gloom, <laughs> But he's talking about those who take pleasure in the world and take pleasure in their own gain instead of others, right? He's saying, you, you guys are finding joy in the wrong thing. Let that joy turn to gloom, right? Here, here, here's the thing about the Christian. We're never going to stop sinning, you know? Sorry to like burst that bubble, right? Maybe you're hoping that one day you'll be perfect, right? Before you die. But like, we're always going to be sinners, right? I am always going to stink, right? I am always just going to have issues, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, as he's working in my heart, hopefully I will mourn over my sin. Hopefully I'll look at my imperfections and look at my sin and say, do you know what? I don't like that about myself. I don't want to rejoice in my sin. I want to be sanctified. I want the Lord to help me progress in my faith. I can't tell you, like, I, I have so, there's so many, and I'm guilty of this too, where, where Christians will look back at their, at their past before they were believers and act like it was just one big party, you know? They'll almost gloat about all the sins that they used to do. You guys ever met those types of people, right? They just love gloating about like all the gnarly stuff they did in their past. And oh, I did this and one time me and my buddy did this, right? And they'll almost glorify the sins of their past, right? Like they used to be cool, you know? It's almost like it's almost like a, a like a high school jock reminiscing over his high over his glory days, you know, where people will people will glorify the sin that they that they had before Christ. But what James is saying is, let that joy turn into gloom. We shouldn't be glorifying the sins that that have ensnared us in the past. Not because you're in trouble with God, right? I I don't want you guys to think that at all. Not that you're in trouble with God and that He's going to punish you. Right? Don't weep because uh, you're a bad person and you better be better. Don't, don't, don't weep and, and don't, don't, uh, don't mourn because God doesn't love you or God doesn't like this about you. Don't weep because of that. But if we are unable to mourn over our sin and humble ourselves, we will never progress as believers. Right? As those who are in Christ, we will never move forward. If we can't look at our sin, if we can't take our pride aside and be like, do you know what? Maybe I didn't treat my husband or my, or my, or my wife in this good manner. Maybe I, I need to repent of that. Or my, my father or my mother or my son or my daughter. My friends that I, I haven't been treating them well. I need to mourn over that. And that'll cause repentance in me. Now, I'm not defined by what I used to do, Right? right? God doesn't say, well, you used to do this and now that's who you are, right? There's grace, right? God has covered you with grace and you're forgiven. You're not defined by your sins. However, however, if you continue to rejoice in something that's wrong, you're going to continue to do it and people are going to be hurt as a result. We have to learn to be introspective enough to mourn over our own sin, 
right? We have to learn how to reflect upon ourselves. Stop looking at the sins of others and the shortcomings of others and the imperfections of other people and start looking inward at, okay, what in my life is not glorifying in the Lord and how are people being affected by that, right? How are the people around me being affected by my selfish behavior, right? And this is something, admittedly, I don't do enough, right? I'm not introspective enough in the sense that I'm not really thinking about how my actions affect others, you know? I'm usually thinking about how others' actions affect me, right? I'm not thinking about how I'm affecting others, but how others are affecting me and how they need to change, right? They need to repent. They need to do some more research, right? And so I need to be introspective in that. And now in verse 11, where I really want to camp, in verse 11, I love this. I love this, guys. You'll love this too, I promise. It's God's word. Verse 11, go there. It says this, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Who are you to judge one another? We've heard that a lot, huh? (laughs) Who are you to judge me? Oh, you can't judge me. We love that, huh? Yeah, that's that's like our favorite. That's the millennial's favorite thing to say. Like, only God can judge me, right? That is is just like, that is our tagline for our generation, right? That's just like, on every tombstone, like, only God is my judge. And then we realize, oh, dang, only God's my judge, (laughs) right? So we love that previous verse. We, we love that verse, right? We love this. this is, and, and it is good news. It is. Guys, because when, when we say, like, only God is my judge, it's true, right? And hallelujah for that, because he judged Jesus instead of you, right? It's amazing. People aren't your judges. That is phenomenal. You cannot and are not defined by what other people say about you and what other people think about you. Hallelujah. The judgment of others, the words of your parents or your friends, whatever, whatever you've been exposed to as a child, whatever bullying you may have been victim to, whatever the media declares about you, whatever insecurities lie within your own heart, people are not your judge. The church isn't your judge, right? People cannot tell you who you are. That is so, guys, that is so amazing. I'll tell you that. I, that, that, that is just, it blows my mind. People cannot impress their judgment upon you and decide who you are. Because that's what judgment is. It is a declarative statement of somebody. When you are judging someone, you are telling them who they are. Right? And it's so amazing that nobody in this room or outside this room can tell you who you are. Besides God. They cannot tell you who you are. They do not define you. For, so for those of you, that should set you free. 
That should set you free. For those of you that have been, have been defining themselves based off the words of other people, whether it be your parents when you were little, whether it be a bad friend or a bully at school, whatever it might have been in your life where people have been telling you that you are not worth it, that you are this or that, no, no, none of that has any weight for God's elect. It says in Romans chapter 8, who could bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. God defines you. God God decides who you are. This is good news. Now, 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 listen to me. There is a difference between judging and rebuking. There's a difference between judging and rebuking, right? Judgment is a declarative statement about somebody. Rebuking is an observation by a a fellow believer for your own good, right? Right? So to judge someone is to make a declarative statement about them, to make a statement of fact towards them. That's why gossip is so toxic, right? Gossip is so toxic because the person, it's, it's toxic to the person giving and the person receiving because only God can judge rightly, right? It says in Psalm uh, chapter nine, verse eight, it says this, and he will judge the world in righteousness and he will execute judgment for the people with equity. Meaning that only God uh, can make a statement of fact about people because only he can peer into your heart, right? Only he can see the background, right? Only he knows the context, right? Because a lot of us, we want to make this broad sweeping statement about somebody, but we don't see into their souls, you know? We don't know everything. So we as people, we can't really make a a statement of fact about anybody, right? Only God can do that because he sees the whole of the person, right? Now, people cannot judge you, but people can rebuke you. People cannot judge you, but they can rebuke you. Rebuke is when a brother or sister of the Lord comes with gentleness in Christ and with the discernment of the Holy Spirit and says, hey, here's a part of your life that isn't glorifying Jesus, right? Let's, let's work this out, right? That's rebuke. And so a lot of us, when, when we're faced with correction by a pastor, by a fellow brother and sister in Christ, right? We automatically go to, well, only God can judge me, right? That's true. But your brothers and sisters have biblical right to rebuke you, right? So they can't judge you. They can't define you, but they can say, well, here's the character of Christ and here's your character. Here's, here's, here's some more ways that you can line up, right? Here's some more ways you can progress in your faith. Here's a sin that I can totally see in your life that you're struggling with. Here's what God wants to point out. How can I help you? Right? That's a rebuke, right? Saying, hey, you need to cut this out, man, right? You need to cut this out. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says this. It says, better is a rebuke from a friend than a kiss from an enemy, right? That's a, that's a good one, right? Better is a rebuke from a friend than a kiss from an enemy, right? I, guys, you know what? I, I am lucky enough to be surrounded by people that will tell me when I'm just being awful, right? And though it hurts, it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing, guys. It hurts, right? But I would rather them tell me the truth and how I can glorify Jesus better than just have a bunch of people surrounding me shoving daisies down my throat, you know? I, I, I would just, I, I, it's so refreshing. And you know a rebuke is coming from a good place when it's meant to restore you to Christ further, right? So some people will be like, well, the Lord told me this about you. And that's it, right? No, no, a rebuke is followed by an encouragement, 
a rebuke is followed by, here's how you can develop in Christ further, right? I know a lot of people love to just bounce from church to church because the second a rebuke comes, they're like, well, only God can judge me, right? But we have to be able to accept rebuke as believers, yeah? Amen? I just wanted to put that in there. The bottom line is people cannot dictate your identity, People cannot dictate your identity, nor should you seek to dictate anybody else's. Verse 13. James does not say, only God can judge you without having a little bit of follow-up, just in case anybody here wants to go crazy with that statement, right? Well, only God can judge me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. And you can't tell me what to do, right? Look at verse 13. He says, come now. (laughs) Isn't that, you know, you know, like no good news is coming after that. Come now, right? It's just kind of one of those statements like, come now, let, let me, let me tell you something. It's like, oh, dang it. All right. You know, you know, like when your, your mom or your dad said, come here, you know, you're like, dang it. Right. Right. You know, I think, I think that's kind of what James is doing. He's like, come here. Right. Come now. I got to tell you something. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So we love the previous verse, right? We love it, right? We love only God can judge me. Don't tell me what to do, right? We, we love that, and so we should. But James follows up with that. James follows up with that, guys, and uh, this, this is where I really, really want to drive the point here. So if you, if you don't remember anything else I've said, I, I, I want us to really, really meditate on this passage. Even if that means you've got to go home and later to this week, really go through verses 13 uh, through 16. This, this is what we really want to drive home tonight. Is that James, knowing our hearts, he knows that our hearts will deceive us. He knows that our hearts will say, well, since nobody else can make life decisions for you, you're free to make your own, right? Nobody, no, nobody can tell you who you are and what you're going to do. So you just go on and be you, right? Do what's good for you. And James is about to combat that mentality right here with verse 14. Now, warning, the next few verses are a big challenge. I think, it was, I think it was either Dane or Micah when they were teaching through James chapter 4 with our youth. They said that now it would be a good time to like leave, right? If you don't want to hear this, right? Because it, it, it is a very challenging passage of scripture for me, probably more than you, right? For me, this is going to be the most challenging probably in this room. Just letting you know, right? Being transparent with you that I am still wrestling with this passage, because guess what? If scripture never kind of like rubs against your lifestyle, right? And your heart, then, then our, we're not really reading it right, you know? Because scripture is meant to kind of rub us the wrong way sometimes, right? It's meant to do that. Because, listen, if this doesn't challenge you, you're either perfect or not listening to the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? If this doesn't challenge you a little bit, you either have everything figured out or like you're just not listening, Right? And I'm usually on the second part of that. Like, I'm just not listening, you know? 
I'm just not listening. So it's, he says right here, you say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So a lot of you are, are, are in college, right? And some of you are starting families. I'm, I'm doing both at the moment, right? I'm going to college and I'm starting a family, right? And, 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 and the temptation for that, the temptation for that is planning too far, right? Oh, some of you are smiling back at me like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For some of you that are parents in here, it may not be planning for you, but it may be planning for your child, right? Planning. You see, everyone seems to think that the biggest idol in our culture is money, sex, alcohol, drugs, etc. They are big, big idols in our culture, but I would say one of the biggest idols in our current culture is plans. Plans. I think the biggest idol is our plans. We love to plan. We love to plan. And I think just from my own heart, I love planning because it makes me feel successful without even doing anything, right? It makes me feel like super, super successful and productive and awesome. And I didn't have to do anything except like write something down on my phone, right? So, so it, you know, planning kind of, planning gives this pseudo security in me where I know, all right, so my life's going to be okay because, you know, I have the plan. <laughs> I got the plan right here, right? I got my two-year plan. I got my five-year plan. I got my 10-year plan, right? I know exactly what's going to happen, right? Megan and I are engaged currently and we're, we're working out plans, but we fully recognize like that means nothing, right? It means absolutely nothing in the long run right? means absolutely nothing. Now, for some reason, for some reason, we need to know everything, don't we? We need to know, right? And I think Google's to blame. Let's just blame Google, right? Let's just blame Google, right, for all of our problems. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. When we want to know something, we just... We don't even have to type anymore. We just talk to an inanimate object, right? At any other generation in our society since the history of mankind, if you were talking to an inanimate object, you were considered crazy. But for some reason now, right, we talk into this little box and we get all the information we want, right? And so we're so used to getting everything we want. Everything we want to know, we just know it. Poof, right? And when, so when it comes to the future... We want to feel like we know, right? We want to feel like we know something. We want, to, we want to know when we're getting married, where we're going to live, what job we're going to have, what's our income, how many kids, uh, when am I going to switch jobs, how am I going to move, how are my kids going to go to college, you know, all, all of this stuff. We're just constantly cycling through plans and plans. I have some verses for you regarding plans. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, and that is not in man who walks to direct his steps. 
Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord is what will stand. Psalm 33, 10. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. Oh, that means that God, he looks at your plans and he just goes, Bam, right? He just, he just socks it right in the stomach, right where it hurts, right? He takes the plants and he frustrates, he says right there, he frustrates them, right? How many of you have experienced that? You had your plan and then all of a sudden it just, you watched it dissolve like sand, like just going, like what, what I, it was, you know, I, I, was, I was just up in the snow with the junior hires, right? And there's snow in my hands. It is solid. And then all of a sudden it's liquid, you know, it's just that, that's how I feel feels sometimes about plans, right? What? It was just there, you know? And now I'm cold and wet and feel awkward, you know? That's, that's, that's plans. That's what God does. That's what God does. Here's the point. Here's the point that I, I, I really want us to understand. Making plans is okay to an extent, right? Because, you know, you have jobs, right? Or you have classes, you need, to, you need to plan just so you're not a lazy bum all day, right? You need to be able to plan out your day. You need to be able to have some organization, some structure, right? I'm talking about plans where you know what's going to happen to your life tomorrow. You know for certain what's going to happen in five years, ten years. Blueprinting your life out, knowing what it's going to be like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not demonizing structure, Right? I can use more of that in my life. I'm not demonizing that at all. What I am saying, in its very nature, sometimes the plans that we make in our own hearts, no matter how noble they may be, are asking God to conform to a blueprint that he didn't create. Us making plans in our heart, making these declarative statements about our future, we're essentially saying, here God, look what I designed. Now you build it. That's what plans are. Here's my 10-year plan, God. Here's exactly what's going to be happening. So if you could bless this area of my life, if you could bless this area, oh, oh, and I'm really going to need help in this area. If you will build this right here so I'll be extra comfortable. We're asking God to build something based on a blueprint we made. What happens is we make plans, then ask God to help us with them. You notice that? We make plans for our lives and then seek God's help to help us build what he didn't even design. But God already knows everything. So we're just taking shots in the dark, right? So we make our plans and our plans usually involve comfort, success, recognition, and benefit, don't they? Have you ever made a plan where you were going to suffer, right? Have you ever made a plan where it's like, here, God, here's, a, here's my 10-year plan. Here's what's going to happen. First, I'm going to lose all my friends, right? <laughs> then I'm going to lose my job, right? So, so we, we never make plans that ultimately don't benefit us, right? That don't bring us comfort, success, recognition, affluence. Nobody goes to school and gets a degree right? And says, with this degree, I will make no money, right? 
I'll have no authority unless you're like a teaching major maybe or something like that. Yeah, some of you are like, (laughs) bad joke. Sorry, Megan. (laughs) What happens is, guys, what happens is, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What happens, guys, is that we make plans that give us relative comfort and ease in life, don't we? Right? We're making plans developed around our happiness, our affluence, what will make us comfortable. So what we, can we see how our will and God's will might collide here, especially a God that says, if you desire to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me? Can you see where this, these plans might collide between our will and God's will? By making plans, saying, oh God, I'm going to go into this town and I'm going to make this amount of money, right? And I'm going to stay here for this X amount of time. Can you see how that can set us up for disobedience? See, what essentially is happening, and, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, we'll just use me as an example. I'll say, hey God, hey God, um, let's get this degree right? And let's get this job and let's live in this place and let's marry this person and let's have this X amount of kids. Sound good, God? And then God comes up to me and he says, uh, Zach, um, let's give up this possession, right? Let's uh, minister to these people and uh, let's not make any money, right? And I'm like, no, no, God, I told you what the plan was, right? We, we, we taught, you see, I, I, have a li- I have a list, right? I have a calendar, right? Do you see how, by hanging on to my plans, I'm setting myself up to disobey God? Do you see that? By me saying, hey God, here's what's going to happen with my life. I am setting myself up to deny him when he asks me to do something. Do you see how that works? Oh God, I'm going to go into this town, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. But what if God says, I don't want you to do that? well, this brings me comfort. God's like, well, well, this brings me glory. Some of you, this is where the hard part comes in. This is where I need to be a pastor to you, a shepherd looking after you. So receive this in, in whatever way the Holy Spirit can buffer it for you, okay? Some of you shouldn't be in college right now. Some of you maybe shouldn't be in college right now. You should be out in the mission field doing something, right? Some of you shouldn't be dating a guy that you're dating. Some of you shouldn't be dating a girl that you're dating right now. But you continue to, right? Because that's your plan. Um, Some of you shouldn't be making the amount of money you're making right now. Some of you should be working at another job, right? But since this one, as corrupt as it may be, makes you more money, you're staying, right? And that's not up for me to, to impart on your life and tell you what you should and should not do. I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that some of you shouldn't be in certain areas of your life, but decide to be because it's comfortable, right? Because it's what you know. And that's where James says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, that is sin. All right, so some of you, you, God has clearly told you something. God has clearly told you to do something. And, and I think sometimes, I think most of the time, uh, we, we think of sin as bad things that we do, right? 
But I would say most of the time, sin is good things that we should do, but don't. Right? Sins usually, for me at least, aren't the actively uh, malicious things that I decide to do. But it's all the good things that I know I'm supposed to do. But just don't. Just don't. Because I got my plan, you know? I have my blueprint. I got to follow it. I have my plan. There's some things you should be doing right now. Some things you shouldn't be doing right now. But because it doesn't fit in the plan, you know what I mean? We're going to disobey God. And guys, this is, this is probably more true for my life than it is yours. So just think of it as me preaching to myself. And if it helps you at all, great. But this is me that needs this, right? This is me that needs it the most. So how do we know what the right thing is, right? So I could tell you, hey, you need to do the right thing and then send you off, but it's like, whoa, how, you know? Because it's not like a cloud is coming upon the sky and hitting you with a lightning bolt and etching on your chest, your plan, right? What God wants you to be doing, right? Not all of you are hearing from the Lord. You know, the clouds are opening up and declaring to you what you should be doing, right? We live in a society that is filled with selfish planning followed by immediate action, right? Selfish planning followed by immediate action. And I would say this, guys. I would say this as practical application and just letting you know because I don't want it to feel like I'm coming down on you at all, right? Because as I was saying, this is my struggle also. This is something I need to grow in because I make all these plans, I make all these plans because I have liberty to do so. But God has so much more, so much more for me, so much more for you. I'm not saying all of you need to quit college and go overseas. You know, some of you are right where you're supposed to be. And I, I want to comfort you in something. No decision you can make is going to be like, God, God's not going to be like, oh, dang it. Well, now I can't bless them. You know, there's no decision you can make where God will be like, well, they're a lost cause, you know. I guess I'll just go on to the next person. There's no decision that you can make that will mess up the will of God, right? right? God works all things together for the good of those who, are, who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? So how do we discern then? How can I make daily decisions for the Lord? How can I not make this huge plan, but instead every day, as it says right here, whereas he, he says, he says right here that therefore to him who knows what is good and does not do it to him that is sin. And he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Meaning every day we should wake up and say, what is the Lord's will? Right? I know my plan, but God, I want to give you freedom to do what you want. How do we do that in our lives? Now I'll say Jesus set a perfect example for us. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. This is Jesus. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. 
And he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. So to give you guys an image of what's happening here, Jesus, early in the morning, he went up to a hill before his entire day started. He went up on a hill, a a desolate place, an empty place, a quiet place. And he was there and everyone was looking for him because everyone wanted Jesus, right? Everyone wanted to hear from him. everyone Everyone wanted him to heal, right? And do all of these things. And Simon, Peter, finally found him. And he said, Lord, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's here. They're waiting for you to do this. They're waiting for you to do that. Here's the plan. Here's the itinerary. God, here's what's going to be happening today, right? Here's bullet points, step one, step two, step three. Here's what's going on. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, we're going to go into the next town. Well, I can just imagine Simon. Well, everyone's here waiting for you already, right? We had a plan. <laughs> and Jesus said, we're going to the next town. He had practiced discernment of listening to the Lord. And as he was in his word and as he was deep in prayer, God would give him what was to do that day. Now, I don't want to be impractical in telling you that if you get up every morning and you pray, God's going to give you an exact schedule of what to do that day, right? I'm not saying that, right? Because you guys would call me liar, right? Because you know that to not always be true. However, however, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example um, for those of you college students, you can relate to this. You know, I, I had a very combative professor. I had a very combative professor who was a um, devoted atheist. He was a philosophy professor. Devoted atheist. And I would engage him in discussion only every once in a while because you don't want to be that Christian that always raises his hand, right? <laughs> you just don't want to be that guy, right? Nobody likes that guy. And so every once in a while, I just, you know, put in my point. And we talk, and it was a respectful discussion. One day, though, it, it got particularly heated. You know what I mean? It got particularly a little more amped up, right? There was still mutual respect, and the whole class was listening. They're like, oh, okay, good point. Oh, okay, good point, right? And at the end of it all, at the end of it all, I'm just like, at the end of it, I, I just, I took a break at the end of that class, and I just prayed for him. I just prayed, Lord, help him. I prayed for his heart. I prayed for his family. I, prayed, I, I just prayed over him. I'm like, Lord, help him, right? And God gave me this clear vision of my professor. He just gave me a, a clear vision of him eating alone. Just eating, sitting by himself and eating alone. And it just broke my heart. And so I continued to pray for him. And, you know, then I did my thing. It was break. And I'm like, all right, before my next class, I'm going to go get a bite to eat. Those of you who go to Channel Islands, I, I, was, I was at the calf and I was just... I was going there to get an eat, to get something to eat, and I order my food, and I sit down, and who's right next to me? This is my professor. Right next to me. I had a class to go to, right? I had a class to go to. I was just going to shout in my mouth, but he was right there. And I'm just like, Professor, I just want to let you know, you know, how much I respect you and I, lo- I love your class and I hope I'm not too this or that. And he's like, no, no, for sure. And he had questions. And I got to talk to him for like an hour and a half. First time this man, he grew up in a Catholic church, in a Catholic school, and had never heard the gospel before. Never heard the gospel. And I got to tell him the gospel. 
That wasn't in the itinerary, right? That wasn't in the plan. I had a class to go to. And as I was engaging in discussion, I'm just like, do you know what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be added onto. I engaged in that discussion with him. And he got to hear the gospel and he got to have questions answered. And it turns out, like, I went to class and it was like nothing, no, no problems at all, right? Came in late, it was okay. God took care of it. And all of that to say, guys, I'm not like saying, hey, skip class, right? Skip work, you know? Don't feed your kids, right? Just spend time with Jesus, you know? I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, what I am saying is that if you are deep and you are actually devoting yourself to praying and seeking the heart of God, and you're not saying, Lord, here's the plan for today, here's the plan for today, here's the plan for today, I'll just get me through it, but instead you're saying, Lord, what would you have me do today? And he may not tell you exactly in the morning what you're going to do, but the second the situation arises, you will know it's the Lord. You will know it's the Lord. I want to encourage you in that. You're play- I, I'm, you guys have great ideas, way better than mine. But great ideas aren't always God ideas. And so tonight, you know, I'm going to invite Justin to come back up and lead worship. And we're just going to, we're going to sing to him. We're going to exalt him. And we're going to decide tonight that his plans are better than ours, right? His plans are better than ours. And as we raise our hands, as we sing, whatever it may be, you know, raising our hands is more than just, you know, just a a church thing. It's surrendering, right? It's the universal sign of I surrender. And so we're going to worship and we're going to pray and we're going to take communion. And uh, we're going to encourage you, you know, throughout the, throughout the worship service, you know, with different scripture. And I just want us to seek the Lord tonight. I want, us to, I want tonight, if, if you've never done it before, just say, Lord, tomorrow's my first day of class. Tomorrow I'm going to, going to work. Like, tomorrow I'm going to be taking care of my kids. Tomorrow I'm going to be facing this at my job or this in my family. And, and we're just going to, we're going to pray, Lord, what is your will? Because it says right here that we should be thinking today, if the Lord will let us live even, right? So who knows if even the Lord will let us live tomorrow, right? We could wake up and, oh, heaven, hey, <laughs> right? But we, but we should be just saying, Lord, what do you want? And that'll take us putting our selfish desires and our selfish plans aside and seeking the good of the Lord and his kingdom and the glory of, glory of the Lord and the good for his people. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we, we pray that um, tonight would be a transformative night. Tonight would be a night that brings you honor. As we take communion, God, that we would recognize the sacrifice that you made on the cross, that we might live, Lord. That we might truly live, not live monotonous lives, God. But every day, whether we go to the same job every day, whether we go to the same school every day, whether we're in the same, around the same people every day, but every day would be different because we're looking for new ways to bless you. And we'd be sensitive to your plans that we would learn how to find a quiet space like you did, Jesus. I seek you on the mountaintop and 
decide what's going to happen that day. Help us in that, Lord. Help us to recognize your voice. Help us to recognize your spirit. And just pray that there be transformation in the way that we plan. Of course we need structure. Of course we need to know the mission, right? But may we be sensitive to what you will each and every day. We love you, Lord. We give you this night. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.